Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome back to another week in 2023. Thank you. So excited to be here. Woo! The realist personal finance has a question today. Yeah. And, you know, last week we talked about we talked about so many specific questions. A reminder to people, if you didn't listen last week, go back and do it because some of these specifics may or may not apply to you. Always an area I think to learn, but we can very quickly get caught up in the specifics thinking that's what good financial planning is all about when it's an aspect of it, but it's not everything. So just a reminder, if you didn't tune in last week, do it where we talk about starting this new year. What can you do? What are the five steps you can take to really make sure you're doing the right things as you really focus on your financial situation. Yes, go do it. And if you're struggling to do it, or you just want help, or you want a community of people to do it with, go to realpersonalfinance.co and click Nation to learn more about the community we're creating to help you help yourselves. Absolutely. With that being said, let's read the question for today. This comes from Liam. Yeah, let's go. Liam says, I'm an employee at a large tech company, and I have vested RSUs over the last four years. Some of my stock has appreciated four times since I was granted it. My non-company stock brokerage account is around 700000 And on top of that, my vested company stock, I work at Apple, is worth 250000 at the moment. Mm-hmm. I expect to continue to accumulate more company stock through ESPPs and RSU grants over time. Mm-hmm. My current gross income is around $325,000 which is broken down 200,000 of salary and 125,000 of annual RSU stock grants. I would like to take action to diversify this position into other equities. The reason I would like to diversify is to reduce my portfolio risk. Having just seen some other companies like Meta take a 70% stock hit, it feels like a responsible action to take. As I've heard in your podcast, I should not have too much of my net worth of one stock and the only free, and the only free lunch is diversification. I can sell all 250,000 vested shares tomorrow, but then I believe I would get hit with a large tax bill for all of the gains, which seems like it could be a burden. I'm mm-hmm. thinking I could start by selling the shares that I've held for over a year to make sure to get the long-term gain tax rate instead of the short-term tax rate. And then next year, I could sell the stock I got this year, et cetera. I'm also thinking of starting a donor-advised fund in the next couple of years and gifting $10,000 of appreciated stock to charity. And then in parentheses, Apple does a two-for-one promotion where they match up to 10000 meaning it could initiate the donor advice fund with 30000 But the rest, I would like to reinvest in a more diverse way to meet my short and long-term financial goals, looking for any advice you may have as I figure out a good way to exit and diversify this position. Yeah. Awesome question. Right. Thanks for the questions. By the way, keep questions coming. Uh, we're going to change the production on it uh, as the new year starts a little bit to bring element scorecards into this a little bit more often. Because there's actually a couple questions here that I would love to know the answer to to help understand what percent of overall net worth is that 250K. I didn't see a percent. Did you? 
No, but we know Liam has 700,000 in a regular brokerage account. Right. And I'm that, assuming but, probably a 401k. And some other exactly. Things on top of that, so that's so. where, because I was like, man, if, you know, if he has like two and a half million of investable net worth, then this is less than 10%. So he doesn't have to be as worried about it, but we can chat that through today. Don't you think? I do. And I think, again, kind of a plug for last week's episode, he talked about, I want to realign this with my short and long-term goals. Well, part of our feedback might be based on what do those goals look like? Exactly. Is exactly. this a goal that's going to happen in one year? Like you want to buy a home or a second home, or is this a goal that might happen in 20 or 30 years? We have no idea yeah. how old Liam is, but maybe long-term financial independence. So that being said, we can still provide a framework of what are the things to look at when making a decision like this. Totally. So how about we look through um, the three different, we'll give three different frames for this. We'll talk about taxes. We'll look at the investments and then, you know, kind of the the emotional side, as it were, as well. Does that sound good? The trickiest side of them all. It is the, the tricky side. side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you want to start with? Let's start with the tax side, because okay. that is what holds most people up from doing things with non-retirement accounts, with yeah. brokerage funds, with stock funds. And, and by the way, when people are listening, they're thinking, what's an RSU? What's an ESPP? They're just different forms of company stock. So if you work for an employer and that employer is publicly traded and they're granting you compensation, but not cash compensation, stock compensation, it's just a way of receiving company stock. And what where I see most people making the most mistakes is not changing their company stock strategy because they're so myopically focused on the tax side of things mm-hmm. that they miss out on the other risks and the other potential uses for those funds. Yep. So I think understanding the tax side is, is the most important place to start. Agreed. Let's go. What do you want to start with on the tax side? I'll fill in as you go. From a very basic standpoint, and Liam looks like he's already doing this, you want to, if possible, realize gains at a long-term capital gain rate as opposed to a short-term capital gain. If you realize, so if you sell a stock and that stock's gone up in value, if you've held that stock for less than a year, any gains that you realize gets taxed at your ordinary income rates. Yeah. Your ordinary income rates go up to as high as 37% at the federal level for this year. Mm-hmm. So that, that could potentially be pretty high. Capital gains, they cap out at 20% at the federal level, plus a 3.8% surcharge on top of that. So mm-hmm. call it 24% at the absolute highest, mm-hmm. just more tax efficient. So mm-hmm. if you are going to be selling stock, which oftentimes we'll recommend depending on the situation, try to do it in a way where you realize long-term gains and avoid short-term gains if possible. Yep. Yep. On top of that, what uh, what Liam has mentioned is he mentioned a donor-advised fund. We've done episodes about this and how, they're, how they work. Just a couple things to note on that. If you're going to give appreciated stock to a donor-advised fund, make sure it's long-term gains. Because if you're giving stock, it's gone up in value, but they're short-term gains, you don't actually get a deduction for that. It has to be a long-term gain that you're using. And the benefit of that is if you're going to be giving money anyways, you could give cash. And if you want to do a, say a $10,000 donation, it's going to cost you 10,000. Yep. But if you want to give appreciated stock, let's assume Liam bought Apple at $2,000 a share. Now it's worth $10,000 a share. That's really only worth to him, call it $8,000. Because right. if he sells it to get cash, he pays 2,000 taxes and just making up very round numbers. It's not worth as much to him. But if he gifts the $10,000 of stock, he gets the full deduction for the 10,000 and the donor advised fund sells it and they're not paying any tax uh, 
taxes on that. So just a win-win there. Yeah, absolutely. One thing to be very careful of, and as this actually came up for a client the other day, is there's something called a wash sale rule where we're in a year, you know, we 2022, the market was down quite a bit, especially tech companies. Mm-hmm. Now we're actually recording this a tad bit before. So things could really run between the timing of the recording never this episode know. and the release. You never but know. It looks like things ended up down where if you're selling stock, let's, let's assume Liam was granted stock January 1st, 2022. Yep. And he sold it when it was down 20% or 30%. Yep. You get to write off those losses, a portion of them against your ordinary income, all of them against capital gains. If you have stock that's vesting, that could potentially introduce the wash sale violation. So just be very careful about the timing of when you're selling stock around the timing of when shares are vesting, because you don't want to violate wash sale rules, which is essentially if you sell uh, or if you purchase a stock that you sold within 30 days of selling it, either before it or after it, those losses are disallowed, or at least a portion of them are disallowed. So yeah, we'll leave the details for another episode, but just keep in mind, if you're when stocks vest, it's treated like a purchase for all intents and purposes yep. and could impact the wash sale rule. Yep. I think, I think you've explained everything really well, but I just want to add a little bit more color. That's okay. Do it. Okay. So we talked about for Liam, he has restricted stock units and he has ESPP employee stock purchase program shares. And you want to think of those differently if you're the type, if you're a tech worker or biotech worker, or you deal with stock options or you deal with ESPP and RSUs. Restricted stock units for Liam, the moment shares vested, he actually pays ordinary income the moment they vest. So I'm just going to make up a number. I'm going to say on January 3rd, he had, I think the closing price that day was $182 a share. So let's just say he had 100 shares vest for $182, right? So that'd be $18,200 is considered ordinary income on his pay stub the moment those shares vest. And he got to choose how does he want to hold those shares from that point forward. Most people choose something that's called sell to cover. That means they sold enough to withhold 22% for taxes federally and whatever the state income tax requirement was. And then the rest of it were just released to him as shares. But the key there is he has a basis, a stock, a a cost basis in the shares of $182 a share. Yep. And so one of the questions that he's asking is, how do I get out of these things? And one of the things I'd want to see right away is show me the lot detail on all of your restricted stock units. Because you may have shares that you could sell right now at a short-term loss to net other shares you could sell at a long-term gain or a short-term gain, and the tax ramification will be zero so long as you avoid the wash sale rule that James was speaking about. Yep. Yep. So that'd be the first thing I'd want to look at. I'd want to see, show me all the cost basis for all of your shares and break out your shares between RSUs and ESPP. ESPP, you want to be very careful with and treat differently. Like to the donor advised fund, you don't want to donate ESPP shares ideally to a donor advised fund because you're dealing with ordinary income on that discount that you're getting. We, I'm sure we did an episode somewhere on ESPP if you Google it in um, our little, like however you find all the stuff that we have. We should work on that this year. <laughs> however you listen to this. Find things. But point is RSUs, easy to look at. 
Next point for the donor advice fund. When you want to open the donor advice fund, you're going to want to look again at the long-term capital gain for the cost basis. And he's mentioned some of them had gone up 400 or 4X, 400% in value. Those are the shares if they're long-term gain to be gifting. So, and then the moment you do that, you're getting a tax benefit in that year. So you can think about how much tax benefit do I get? What's my tax savings for doing this? And now I could just choose to offset another cell of other shares to offset that gain. So I kind of come out of it tax neutral, but I'm reducing my tax exposure. Exactly. Those are the biggest things I would look at there. And oh, here's the other kicker. I just want to see what is my overall tax exposure if I choose to sell everything and understand the math on that. And if you don't understand things like wash rules and long-term capital gain and short-term capital gain, maybe it's time to hire an advisor to help you through this process. That's, I mean, the stuff that you're describing is stuff that we help clients with on a regular recurring basis because it just happens that that's our focus is working on clients in tech and biotech. So get, get the knowledge to make the choice, but I actually just did really quick math and I just made the assumption that 250K of the stock had a $75,000 basis, which it probably is actually higher if he goes and looks at the real numbers, is my guess. But if mm -hmm. I just say that he forexed all of his money, then if he had long-term capital gain for everything on the 250K, he would have to pay 41,000 in change to the federal government. He'd pay 6,800 to the state. He would have to pay 48,000 all day, but he'd get to keep about a little over $200,000. And that I think allows us to transition to the investing side because the thing he's worried about is having too much exposure to one stock. And yeah. my question for Liam would be, how will you feel if Apple falls by half and you go from having 150K to 125K? Yeah. Because right now, my worst math scenario is you could probably sell all and still keep $200,000. Well, and, and, and that's the hard part for people because we look at taxes as a definite loss. Okay. If I sell, I'm definitely paying taxes right. versus if I hold, there's not a definite loss. In fact, there's a potential gain, but it's just the unknown. The hard part is it doesn't take much for a stock to fall to wipe out whatever the tax savings would be by not selling. Right. And to your, and the other thing for, for Liam and a lot of other um, tech workers and biotech workers is to his point, he's getting 125K refresh on RSUs every year. So he, it's not like he's letting go of all the upside of the stock. Like he can still hold some portion of it for himself to get upside, but go to your short-term and long-term goals and start asking yourself the question, like, can I have some of these things right now? And then the other little frame to look at is just saying like, hey, all of this money wasn't mine to begin with. It always belonged to the government, some portion of it. And if you start to think of it through that lens, then you start to think, how do I efficiently achieve my short-term and long-term goals while being okay with the fact that, yes, I do have to pay something to the government. We can't evade taxes. That sends us to jail. But we can be really tax thoughtful and try to be as tax neutral as possible. But we don't want to let taxes wag the dog. Because to his point, you can watch companies fall by half or 80% or more. It happened for a lot of companies last year. Hopefully that's all behind us, but that's a hope. We don't actually know. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, 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 you're bringing up a good point where it's not like by not selling Apple, we'll never pay taxes. We're just kicking that can down the road. Oh. And the longer we kick that can down the road, and this isn't a risk unique to Apple, this is just a risk unique to any individual stock. The longer we don't sell, the more and more the opportunity that we underperform the rest of a diversified market would be because of the the risks inherent in that. So it's it's yeah. almost a form of procrastination when people don't sell stock today. It's like, oh, my future self will do that. My future self will pay taxes. But we keep kicking that can down the road until it really bites us because, oh my gosh, this stock just lost 30, 40, 50, 70% of its value. And the chances of recovery are slim. I love that, that you brought up performance and outperformance because especially with a company like Apple, the large cap, large cap just means the big companies for you guys at home. If you don't understand what large capitalization means, it means like the Facebooks and Amazons and Teslas and Googles of the world. They were the best performers during COVID. So they boomed. And it's tough when you've watched something boom to think I should be doing something different. But when something's been booming, it actually makes it harder and harder for it to keep booming. It's called the law of diminishing returns. When something does really, really well, it makes it so much harder for it to do really, really well the next year. All you have to do is think about a growth rate for a company and realize that when something's really, really small, it's easy for it to double in size. But when something gets to be the size of Apple, it's very hard for it to double in size. And eventually for it to keep doubling, it would have to take over the entire economy which is kind of mind-blowing, but it's just the way the math works. If you start to think about how big the company is and what it would have to do to double three more times, it would have to be a size that would be a large portion of the world economy. Mm -hmm. And so once you understand that, you just go like, well, now I just need to play the odds in my favor and ask myself, how much of this do I want to hold? I want to own some of it, but do I want all my money in that basket? Right. And then look for diversification, which is what Liam was getting after. Right. Right. So I think that's the thing to to look at is the risks. We look at, again, the tax side, we look at that as a risk because we know it's a known quantity. There are going to be taxes. The problem is if that's the only thing you're looking at on the investment side, there are plenty of risks by not selling. Those risks just come in underperformance and aren't as quantifiable because we don't know the future. So it's it's hard to do. But what we would always do is we would say, Liam, you have $250,000 in Apple stock. Let's assume you had $250,000 in cash. What would you do with it? Right. Would you go buy Apple stock with it? Or would you go invest that into a diversified set of funds? Right. The answer or is not go you? buy Apple stock. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm 100%. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep going, my man. You no, I'd say if the, answer was, if the answer is not go buy Apple stock, well, then don't keep your money there. It's just we're, we're hardwired to not make changes even when changes are warranted. So 100% get through that frame. One of the things that you can also look at for all of you listeners at home who are maybe owning uh, in companies that have restricted stock units, it's the beginning of the year. Refreshes happen quarterly or on review, right? For different companies. One of the things you can do is you can see, am I able to go into my, let's say, let's say that you do decide, you know what? I don't want to buy more stock. And actually I would just say to Liam, the fastest way for you to, de to divest outside of your current holdings is go see if you can change the setting on your existing shares that are being, that are vesting. See if you're allowed to choose something that's called sell all shares. 
So the default is what we call sell to cover. That means we're going to sell enough to cover a, a mandated tax bill of 22% federally and whatever the state income tax is as well. And then that'll give me a net number of shares I get to keep. So that 100 shares I was giving as the example earlier, you probably get to keep something like 65 shares, 70 shares after the fact. They sold enough to pay some taxes for you, but then they give you the rest of the shares. Well, you might be able to go in and change your settings on your restricted stock units so that you just say, sell all shares. What's that going to do? It's simply going to sell all of the 100 shares the moment the shares vest. It's going to send off the funds to the taxes as it currently did, and it's just going to give you cash that you can now go do whatever you want with. It makes life so much easier for you if you don't want to build a position. Yes, exactly. So that's a that's a good thing to keep in mind for future stock vesting as well. Um, once you've looked at that, you've looked at the tax side, you've looked at the investment side. The last piece is the emotional side, which yeah. is the hardest sometimes. Of we, whether we like it or not, we grow an attachment to our investments. We grow an attachment to things like our credit card. We grow an attachment to yeah. our money habits. And it's just, it's just the way it is. And breaking yes. that attachment can be difficult. So recognize that. Sometimes you need an outside party to help recognize that, to be that objective third party. But we do things that are not in our best interest because we go with our emotions as opposed to going with what makes most logical sense. So recognize when you've owned a company like Apple, that is a wonderful company and has had an incredible run as a stock, that doesn't mean you should continue doing that forever. And if we go back to our goals and we go back to the true and true intention, if I was to ask a hundred people, what are your goals in life? No one's ever going to say, oh, my goal is to acquire as much Apple as possible. Yeah. No, well, our goal might be one out of a hundred, who knows? <laughs> but that we we always say our goals are financial independence. Our goal yes. is time with family. Our goal yes. is travel, do different things. And that's what we say. But then the way we act is, oh, well, our goal is to hold Apple because it's going to always rise and do these. There's always that disc, not always, but there's often a disconnect between what yes. we say our intentions are and what we're actually doing. And that's yes. often not a logical decision we're making as much as a psychological, emotional decision that we're making. So recognize that when that's the case. So you can do the thing that makes most sense in light of the goals and the values that you have, uh, not just doing what you feel like doing. I think you nailed that point. The point I would just elaborate on a little bit more is given that we are just, we're designed so that inertia is our thing. If we're already not doing something, we usually just keep not doing something. If we already are doing something, we often just keep doing it. So that's why I gave the example of go choose to sell all shares if that's an option, because that would actually simply in a moment make it so that you just choose to do something automatically. And now you don't have to worry about continuing to build this position. But the point that I'd come back to is the point that you're making. Liam, what is your intention for your short-term and your long-term goals? Because you might see that you can have some of those things right now with these funds. And understand that. And just understand that we have to pay some money to the government. We don't get, there's no free lunch. You're going to pay something. The question is, do you do it efficiently? And then just come over here and like, I'm, I'm we're not doing any drawings today, but I'm, if you're looking at the YouTube channel, I'm holding up two hands. And over here, I'm saying, Liam, over here, you keep building position in Google, I mean, Apple, and you don't change anything. You keep buying the ESPP max. You keep building those vested shares. You don't sell out of anything. And this just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And over here, you fully sell out of everything right now. 
And the question is, where are you on the scale? And be there on the scale after you look at the intention of your short-term and your long-term goals. What do you want to act on? And a lot of times when we get over here, people are like, well, but then I'm going to miss out on, on the growth of the firm. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're getting more shares every single year. So you get the, the number of shares that are going to vest and those start growing up and down in price. So you still get the upside that we're often thinking we're letting go of. You're just choosing to do something else with money that's already on your balance sheet because it matters to you more than just the upside of Apple. Yeah, absolutely. And that intention is the hard part. But yeah, be, having that intention, doing it within the context of your personal financial plan, that is extremely important. 100%. Agreed. Awesome. Well, anything else you would add here for Liam? No, that's it. I, I think the main thing is if you, I think just coming back to the idea that if, if, if this is a tough one to act on on yourself, go get help, right? Join Real Personal Finance Nation community to see if there's other people who are dealing with something similar. Um, go hire an actual advisor who can be your fiduciary and help walk you through and guide you through your choices so that you can make them with intention. But just make sure they're being done in a manner that honors your own intention and your own integrity. Yep. Very well said. And uh, action is always the hardest part. So don't take that action. See where it goes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Scott. Thank you for another great episode. Happy New Year to everyone. I think I can say it again this week. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there'll be a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for Scott and I to answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.